Today we begin an 18-month journey to get an understanding of this book. This morning we want to begin looking at the author. Next Sunday we'll be in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. The next Sunday, Exodus. The Sunday after that, Leviticus. And we're going to work our way right through the Bible. But this morning we want to begin at the other end with the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. If you would turn with me there, please. Runners, when they begin a race, before the gun goes off, every good runner will go to the finish line and look at it. If you run a 100 meters, you'll, you'll notice on the track those Sprinters will go to the finish line and they'll check it out and then they'll walk back the whole hundred meters and they'll get set. If they run 1,500 meters, whatever it is, whatever the distance, most runners will go to the finish line first. In 18 months, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. In a sense, it's our finish line, but we're going to start there today. And more than really the book of Revelation being the finish line. The finish line is God Himself. Because if we study this book without getting to know Him better, we have utterly failed. It's possible to believe the Bible and yet never read it. It's possible to read the Bible and never obey it. It's possible to even obey the Bible but never come to know the God who authored the Bible. But when you come to know Him, He will utterly transform our lives. And that's what we want to see happen as we study through the Bible these days. Revelation 1.1 begins, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. It's no coincidence that the first five words of the final book of the Bible are the revelation of Jesus Christ. In a sense, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a summary of what this entire book is all about. Jesus was able to take His Scripture, which was the books of Moses, the history books, the poets, the Psalms, and the prophets, and teach and preach all about Himself. And he did it so effectively that the hearts of those who heard him teach those words burned within them as he taught from our Old Testament Scripture pertaining to himself. He saw himself all over the Old Testament. No, the Old Testament is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we all know that the New Testament is also the revelation of Jesus Christ. In these 
66 books. As amazing as it is, 66 books written in three languages on three continents spanning four civilizations over 1,600 years in three different languages covering 60 different generations, and yet it all has a single message and ultimately a single author who not only authored this book, but when he did, he wrote an autobiography. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when we say the revelation of Jesus Christ, we mean at least two things. First of all, it's the revelation that Jesus gives. He's the author of the revelation. Now, in this one verse, Revelation 1.1, we see a cascading of revelation that goes through really four or five waterfalls. It begins with God, the Father, gave the revelation to God the Son. God the Son gives the revelation to His angel. The angel gives the revelation to John. And John gives the revelation to us. And John, who wrote these words, ended his book of Revelation with one of the strongest warnings anywhere in the entire Bible. That if anyone were to take away from this book, his share of eternal life will be taken away. And if anyone adds to the words of this book, the plagues will be added to them that are contained in the book. Now that's a high view of what he's writing himself. When John wrote the book of the Revelation, he somehow knew that he was writing Scripture. That somehow one day this would be viewed by the people of God as part of the canon, that, that yardstick of Scripture. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ in that it belongs to Him. It's His to reveal. But it also means the revelation of Jesus Christ means that it's He who's being revealed. It's the revelation of this one, Jesus Christ, who's being unveiled in the book of Revelation. In chapter 1 of Revelation, of course, we see the incredible picture of the exalted, risen Christ, seated at the right hand of God the Father. But here in this vision, He's up from His throne, walking, as it were, among the, the, the churches of His day. Seven distinct local churches. It's a picture of, of the exalted Christ with 
His face was shining like the sun in all its brilliance. And His hair was long, white as wool. His eyes were like flames of fire. Out of His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. In His hands He was holding seven stars representing the angels of the churches. And He was walking among the churches all pictured as flame holders. And there He is walking. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not surprising that the revelation both belonged to Jesus and He's the one being revealed. After all, the Bible describes Jesus as the Word. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God the Father. And the Word was God. And then it goes on, it says that the Word became flesh. It's all referring to Jesus as being the Word. So is it any wonder that Jesus would be the one doing the revealing? Wherever God is known, He's known in the revelation of His Son. There is no way to know God the Father apart from the revelation of the Son. It's impossible. Jesus alone could say, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. Is it any wonder that this Jesus could pick up nothing more than the Old Testament Scripture and preach a whole sermon on how He appears everywhere through the Old Testament Scriptures? Because He's the one that wrote it through these other authors, inspiring them, and He's the one that the book is about. He's the Word. And because He's the Word and He's the one who does the revealing and He's the one who is revealed, it's all that much more important that when we open the book, that we ask for Holy Spirit help to understand it. Because while our Bible is written in English or whatever language is your primary language, you can get a Bible in your primary language. But whatever your language, no matter what language is your primary language, you still need Holy Spirit help to understand it. Because the Bible says of itself that the things contained in it are only revealed by the Holy Spirit. You, you can read the Bible on purely an intellectual level and miss the point without the Holy Spirit's help. And it will all be like water just off a duck's back. It won't impact. It won't have any transformational value. That's why even David in Psalm 119 prayed, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. And when we read the Bible through in these 18 months, we want to ask Holy Spirit help so that we can get the maximum out of the Word of God that we might see Him as we're reading. Christ is in the Old Testament contained. And He is in the New Testament 
explain. Verse 2 of Revelation 1 says the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. The two are linked inseparably. The Word of God is the testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Now, when you think of Jesus, before you're even out of Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, of course, contains the birth of Christ. It contains the circumcision of Christ. And it contains a moment in Jesus' youth when He was 12, 13, 14 years of age. His parents had left Him behind in the fanfare and pageantry of the feast day. They were all wandering along with the crowd and they said, where's our son? They go back to the temple and they find him there. And it says that he was discussing. He was asking questions of the teachers of the law. And they were all amazed at how much he understood. Which means even as a youth, he was a student of the Scriptures. One out of ten statements Jesus makes as recorded in the Bible In the four Gospels, one out of ten statements are quotes from the Old Testament. Jesus was one who so loved His Scriptures that He oozed them. They were just part of His normal conversation. And when you think of how many stories Jesus told, for one out of ten, including the stories, to have contained Scripture means that he was thoroughly saturated with the Word of God. Jesus would say, God says, it says, the Scripture says, interchangeably. He was painstaking in his own obedience to the Word of God, and yet he had no problem blowing off the traditions of culture that were not in the Word of God. He had like this this ability to dissect what was truly in the Word from what was purely religious tradition. And he knew the difference because he knew and loved the book. And I don't know about you, but Jesus' love for the Scriptures motivates me. If Jesus so loved the Scriptures, I want to love the Scriptures. If He was so immersed in the Scriptures, I want to be immersed in the Scriptures. If He met His Father in the Scriptures, I want to meet the Father in the Scriptures. I want it to be part of my life so that when I'm on trial like Jesus was at the beginning of His ministry, when Satan came to tempt Him. Three times He was tempted, and three times He quoted Scripture. He didn't have to say, hang on, I'll get back with you. Let me see, where was that? He had it. He had it because He lived it. 
There was once in Matthew chapter 10 where he said, God said. But he wasn't quoting God. He was quoting Moses as quoted in the Bible. But because it's in the Bible, he could say God said. That's pretty strong. Not only did Jesus have this high view of Scripture, so did the other New Testament writers. They could say all Scripture is God-breathed. God exhaled. It's all inspired, more than inspired. It's expired in the sense of it being breathed out from God. He exhaled the Word of God. No wonder he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he said, because his life was lived in such radical obedience to the Scriptures, and yet in radical rebellion against religious tradition that was not based on the Word of God, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to complete them, to fulfill them. Now, Peter, the fisherman, who was called by the Lord, wrote two books. And in the second one, he said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now the awesome thing is that when God spoke through the prophets, and through every one of the 66 different, in, in each of the cases of the 66 different books, each with their own contributing author, he never violates the personality of the author. So the Bible and every book in it is fully human and needs to be understood on that level, but it's also fully divine in that it was fully the Word of God and fully the Word of man at the same time. You've got the book of Revelation where you've got John saying, I was on the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day. It was a Sunday and I was worshiping. And the Spirit of God said, write these things. And then you've got the Gospel of Luke, equally divinely inspired. And Luke said, O Theophilus, it seemed good to me to write these things to you. Now, you see the difference? I am quite sure Luke was unaware of his writing part of Scripture. But he was. He said, it seemed good to me to write these things. 
John, on the other hand, says, the Spirit of the Lord said, write these things. whole different approach. And yet equally the Word of God. What a book. What a journey we will have. We not only want to believe the Bible and read the Bible and obey the Bible, we want to meet Christ in the Bible. As we study our way through, part of our journey is going to be to encounter the Lord just as He intended us to encounter Him. In every book, we're going to see where is Jesus in this book. In every book, we're going to say what is intended for us to do about this in terms of obedience. What is there to pray in this book? What does God want to change in me in response to this book? We're going to ask all those questions. You know, part of my challenge is um, overcoming some misconceptions that we have, particularly in reference to the Old Testament. There are a lot of us here who would say, man, I can see the, the New Testament. I mean, that's Jesus. Jesus is all over the New Testament. I'm just not so sure about the Old Testament. What do we need to mess around with the Old Testament for? Well, let me just try to deal with that misunderstanding. Okay? Um, when you build a building, the foundation is perhaps the most important part of the building. And usually the foundation is a little bit bigger than the actual building. The footers for the foundation extend a little bit further than what's going to be built upon them. It's no accident that the Old Testament is longer than the New Testament. I've had this misconception, like, God, are you sure you knew what you were doing? I mean, weren't there supposed to be, like, 27 Old Testament and 39 New? I mean, why don't we have more of the New Testament? Why couldn't the New Testament be longer? No, the Old Testament is altogether essential. And as we're going to discover, there's a whole lot that is in the Old Testament that has yet to be fulfilled. In fact, it's my own. This is an unofficial study. But it's my own observation that at least two-thirds of the Messianic promises have yet to be fulfilled. And a bunch of them are going to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. And a bunch will be fulfilled after He returns and during His return. But there's a bunch of the Old Testament that has yet to be fulfilled. In fact, the majority of prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. Now, and just in case we have any misconception on this matter, for your notebook to go in the front of your notebook is this little piece that's in your notes this morning. It's Christ in the Old Testament. And let's not forget, the Old Testament is the Bible Jesus loved. Jesus never said, oh, Father, why couldn't you have given me the New Testament? Why did you stick me with this one? 
Jesus loved it. And He wants us to love it. And Jesus could take specifically the books of Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers, would you please? Jesus could take the book of Numbers and teach about Himself. And Deuteronomy was one that the New Testament, Jesus particularly loved Deuteronomy. He quoted Deuteronomy quite frequently. Well, in Genesis, Jesus is the Word of God who called the the worlds into being. In Genesis, Jesus is the one whose heel crushes the serpent's head. Amen? Amen? And in Genesis, Jesus is the one who would one day say, Before Abraham was, I am. In Exodus, Jesus is the fire in the burning bush. Jesus is clearly the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, Jesus is the sin offering. The one who guarantees our atonement. Jesus is the high priest. And Jesus is the one who is greater than Moses. In Numbers, Jesus is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, He's the fire that covered the mountain. He's the lawgiver and the law fulfiller. The one who writes the law of God on the tablets of our hearts. Joshua, Jesus is the conqueror. The captain of our salvation. In Judges, Jesus is the righteous judge of the living and the dead. In Ruth, He is our kinsman redeemer. The one who paid the price to purchase us out of our abandonment and poverty and rejection. In First and Second Samuel, He's the root of Jesse, the son of David. In First and Second Kings, He's the ark of God's manifest presence. He is God with us. He's the glory who filled the temple. He's the true Josiah who rids the land of idols. In First and Second Chronicles, He's our high priest, our intercessor, our true temple. In Ezra, He's the faithful scribe, the restorer of righteousness, the one who rediscovered the law of God and declares the word of life to His people. In Nehemiah, Christ is the rebuilder. He's the job superintendent. He's the protector of God's people. In Esther, He's the one who turns the heart of the king in His hand. In Job, He's the one who recovers stolen property. And then we come to the book of Psalms. Where do we start? Christ is our shepherd. He's our light, our salvation, our deliverer, our shield, the horn of our salvation, the well of our salvation, the rock that is higher than I. Christ is our fortress, our hiding place. Jesus is our song. In Proverbs, He's the one greater than Solomon. He's wisdom incarnate. In Ecclesiastes, He is heavenly wisdom who can spot a fool a mile away. In the Song of Solomon, he is perfect love. He's the groom and the husband. In Isaiah, he's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
He is our Messiah. It's His glory who fills the temple. And all cry holy. In Jeremiah, He's the potter and the righteous branch. In Lamentations, He is the one who's great in love, whose compassions never fail, and whose mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. In Ezekiel, Jesus is the Word of God that connects the dry bones and the breath of God that fills the body. In Daniel, He's the fourth man in the furnace and is the interpreter of dreams. In Hosea, He's the faithful and true husband who loves us unconditionally and calls us out of spiritual adultery. In Joel, He's the trumpet in Zion. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In Amos, He's the fire that consumes the wood, hay, and stubble, and the plumb line that calls our lives back in proper alignment. In Obadiah, He is the humbler of Edom and every prideful heart. In Jonah, He's the missionary to the unreached nations, the Savior of the great cities of the world, and the One who is greater than Jonah. In Micah, He's the restorer of peace and the staff to shepherd His people. In Nahum, the refuge in troubled times. In Habakkuk, He's the revelation who awaited the appointed time. He's the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that will one day cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In Zephaniah, He's the one who exalts the humble and overthrows the proud. In Haggai, He's the desired of nations. In Zechariah, He is the one who will appear with a flash of lightning and a trumpet blast. In Malachi, He's the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. He's the Son of Righteousness who rises with healing in His wings and who turns the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and daughters and the hearts of the children to their dads. He is Christ. And this book is His autobiography. And it does us good to get a big view So often we take particular verses from here or from there. And praise God, the Bible works that way. But once in a while, it's good to get the bigger view. Now, I want you to meet my buddy, Luke. Now, Luke is a genius. He is a genius at making puzzles. Now, Luke, you want to get started on that puzzle right here? He studies the front of the box. And he gets the full picture in his mind. It's the first thing he does. I've seen him open a brand new package, a Christmas gift. He takes it. Oh, a puzzle. And then he, he looks at the front. He looks at the whole thing. And then he turns over all the pieces and then he goes to town. Now, this is how we're going to be studying the Bible as we head into 2011. We're going to get the bigger picture. Instead of just picking up individual pieces and individual verses, we're going to get the big picture. And the big picture is Jesus is in the photo. It's a picture of Him. And the coolest thing, you and I are in there. Now this one is one of Luke's favorites. Oh, is he's, he's, he's making some good progress here? He's, it's a barnyard. 
Well, this book, when you see the overall, it's really a book about God's barnyard. And the farmer is in the book. And he's in the photo. And so often we tend to focus on bits and pieces and we miss the bigger view. What do you say? It's time to get our arms around the bigger picture. To see how it all fits and where we fit in to the bigger picture. And we're going to see Christ exalted over all of creation. And our part on the farm. And we all have an assignment in God's barnyard.